0: Black Talk Radio Network is made possible in part with help from the Black Talk Media Project, a North Carolina based nonprofit engaged in the production and distribution of independent digital black media. Find out more by going to blacktalkradionetwork.com or blacktalkmediaproject.org and look for the menu tab Crowdfunding Black Media. Black Talk Media Project, helping to provide you with new black media for the new millennium.
1: Lift your eyes up, let your wives rise up, see the signs of the times if it's time, rise up, rise up, when death and hell dwell among all God's people, when those we chose and trusted have become completely corrupted and inherently evil, when the feast that feeds you starves our father's children, when snuff porn and pedo forms begin to get top billing, rise up, when famine claims millions, when justice gives blind eyes to billions, when the Lord is no longer feared If his protection is gone and your
0: enemies are near If you've seen the sea spill over Social
2: this is spoken word poet Max Paul, Paul, and Paul. Paul, and Paul. 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 With new abolitionist and activist Johanna Elias and Black up Talk, up talk Media up Project, up project up founder Scotty On this way. program, we discuss recent news on legalized 21st century slavery and human trafficking along with projects and people who helped combat it Today is May 4th, 2016 on tonight's broadcast, I'm going to be in a different approach. For the past near five years, I've acted as a reporter or a journalist disseminating information here on New Abolitionist Radio, and I have repeatedly clarified that I am neither of those. But it was and still is necessary that we show you the proof, the evidence, the testimony, the stories, and the studies. We'll continue that necessary task for the time being. But personally, and I can only speak for me I'll be spending more time talking about the players, the architects, and endgame strategies of modern slavery. I believe most of our listeners and the people of the world in general are more acutely aware of this particular topic than media gives them credit for having. There are far fewer truly ignorant people today than there were in June of 2011, when I joined this program at the request of Brother Scotty Reed. Over the years, we have witnessed a clear shift in perspective, which left the mainstream media struggling and failing miserably to manage a counter narrative. With no little assistance from our end, a great number of informed people are making and have made their choices about our criminal justice system. Again, I didn't come here to be a reporter. I came because I thought it would help end slavery and set my people free. I must keep my eyes on that goal. With that said, we'll be playing three important and connected videos for you to hear and discuss. The first is Representative Bobby Rush talks to MSNBC's Cameron Hall about why he voted for the crime bill in 1994 and apologizes it. For His his vote 22 years ago. We want you to hear what this man said in truth and honesty and absorb this information. Bobby Rush is the U.S. Representative for Illinois' first congressional district, serving in Congress for more than two decades. He was first elected in 1992 and took office in 1993. He's since won consecutive re-elections. Second, we'll be playing a clip of New York Police Department officers in a candid interview in i team four's expose on ticket quotas and predatory policing in New York City and nationwide. again, let's hear what the people who do these things every single day think and then break down what we heard. Third, we'll play a new report about a pastor's brush with death by police in Chicago and add our own commentary. We'll cover and share a number of critical stories throughout the broadcast. Be sure to invite others to tune in here at BlackTalkRadioNetwork.com. If you have war stories from the field, we want you to call in and give us updates, especially regarding the upcoming national prison labor strike, and the current Alabama prison labor strikes. We want to hear about any divestment efforts also, so please call us at 641-715-3660. The access code is 549 32 Our rider of the 21st Century Underground Railroad is 81-year-old Paul Gatling, exonerated for murder after 52 years of being unjustly imprisoned and maintaining his innocence all along. Our abolitionist in profile is Owen Brown, son of famed abolitionist John Brown. Owen fought with his father in Kansas and participated in John Brown's raid on Harper's Ferry in 1859, escaping capture and then later serving as an officer in the Union Army in the American Civil War. Expect all of that and more tonight on New Abolitionist Radio. Once again, I'm Max Partis.
0: What's happening, Brother Scotty? Peace to you, Brother Max.
2: Oh, man, it's been it's some exciting times going on right, right now, uh, just consistently, week after week. And in opposition, we get to see this these patterns unfold, you know? So it's been a very volatile time.
0: I mean, it is exciting and volatile, as you say, as we have witnessed personally and documented over the past five years, as you hinted at um, the existence of the program, the digital radio program, New Abolitionist Radio, but the change in the the corporate media narrative. I mean, it, it, it takes a whole lot to do something that some people will say, well, that's simple to do. No, no, no. That's not simple to do to get the mainstream media to change its um, narrative and stop censoring people when they call it modern-day slavery. Some of it, they it was out of their control, like the young uh black woman who was an abolitionist who asked Hillary Clinton, you know, about— Mass incarceration, but then told her and 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 some people are even calling it modern slavery. Um, We've seen uh, articles calling it modern slavery, pointing out the 13th Amendment exception clause saying slavery was never abolished. These are attorneys and not just any attorney off the street we did pulled out of a public defenders office or something no these are our our um attorneys who have won awards of course we've interviewed on uh, Nakima Levy Pounds attorney of the year out of uh, that's Minnesota state of Minnesota leads the NAACP up there also collaborating with Black Lives Matter there uh, she's come on this program, talked, called it modern day slavery. Thirteenth Amendment did not abolish slavery. So, you know, Max, that is exciting. Just that alone. Imagine, man, what we would have to do. If we actually got the exception clause removed from the 13th amendment, man, I remember you was up to my house and you know, that, that big old field behind the house and you were saying, let's have a Woodstock or something like that. We, that's what yeah. we would have to do in celebration. It, it would be Jubilee for real.
2: Yeah, it would be. It's actually something we can see. It's like in our sight, like, like they say about the presidential elections, mathematically we can project a victory, (laughs) you know, it can come into play. And I think the ball is rolling now and people know they're, they're just not as stupid as mainstream is trying to portray them as maybe the people that they parade in front of us on cameras, might be pretending to be stupid, but I'm pretty sure most of America has been presented with this information and made up their mind about how they feel about it. Uh, you know, just the examples are everywhere to see. So kudos to everybody out there who has participated in this uh, effort to change the narrative to truth.
0: Most certainly, most certainly. Have you heard from uh, Brother Johannin? Uh I just checked the board. He's not in yet, as we know. You know, he makes his way from work, and um, he had no control over the schedule he has, so he'll be joining us shortly.
2: Yeah, I haven't heard from him since last night. We had a little conversation last night and uh, a couple times during the week, keeping up to date on what's going on. One of the reasons why I decided that I'm going to start changing how I'm uh, approaching this now. Oh, oh, You know, we need to recognize our stages.
0: Max. You yes. know, I I beg to differ with you. You say you tell people you're not a journalist and and anything like that. You have been a journalist on this program, and although we're building upon the work of other journalists who have written articles and and what have you, and different studies that come out being produced by whatever agency, whatever organization, and whatnot, and we've been reporting on that for five. So you are a reporter. You're just not a corporate, you're not just not a corporate shield, but you are a reporter. Uh, You are a publisher. You also, you know, published the, what's that? Uh, The North Star. The abolition, the digital abolitionist paper you publish on Facebook uh, media pages like new abolitionist radio, providing people with with, you know, information. And right now I'm working on the uh, monthly reports for the station and our social media accounts. But I mean, last month, um, um, uh, the last month was April. So March reports, man, we reached over half a million people in that one month alone and and watch through social media. That's not even including, you know, through the radio station and what have you. So you, I I hate to break it to you, my friend, (laughs) but you've been a journalist for the past five years.
2: You know, I just take one umbrella and put it over myself. And let's just say poet, because I'm a poet and poets do have to be to a degree journalists and Reporters, is at least if they're speaking on something outside of themselves, which is what I do very often, speak of things that are not about me. It's about other greater issues going on that need to be heard. So I guess I would just fall under the poet. As far as, uh, you know, formal training, uh, I would fail every test probably, unless I just took to it naturally. But, yeah, I've been involved in media now, particularly in radio, since 1995. I was just reminis- reminiscing on it earlier. My first broadcast was about Lawrence Myers being shot dead in Paterson, New Jersey, in the back of the head while laying face down the ground by a rookie policeman. And that was in 1995. And uh, that was the first thing I talked about. And I've been talking about those stories ever since uh, for the past 21 years on and off on different radio programs. So, yeah, I guess I got a little experience, but I'll probably fail any formal test. <laughs> I had a conversation earlier this week that I wanted to share with you, Scotty, before we went into our first story. And uh, I don't have all the proper details, but I'll be planning on getting them. As you know, this year, again, we're one of the sponsors of the National Week of Action Against Incarcerating Youth, right? Mm -hmm. And uh, we'll be having them on as guests on May 18th. The week is from May 15th to May 22nd where people across the nation will be participating in mass valleys, art presentations, you, you name it. Right. And as sponsors, we'll be bringing them in as guests. One, uh, huge, and- uh, yeah.
0: one huge demonstration against modern day slavery, uh, particularly the, in this case, the enslavement of children.
2: Right, right, and which is why I, I am in agreement. Normally, I don't divide my efforts and focus on one particular part of slavery. But when it comes to kids, I will, because, yes, let's go for the kids first if we can. Get them out. Stop that on them. But in regards to the conversation, there was a, it was a national conversation they were having planning the events, which I was part of. So it was people from all over the country. And it just so happens that one of the people there is an educator who is also uh, – involved in the union for the teachers' unions uh, at a high level. And she's got an upcoming engagement before the union, from what I understand, where she gets to present ideas and speak. And I pointed out to her that the teachers' union, by reports we've been receiving now since 2013, have nearly $100 million collectively invested into the construction of private prisons through their pension and retirement funds. She had heard these things before but never knew anybody that you know, put it as clearly or had the information available. And after telling her that, she simply said, could you give me the information? I'm going to have this meeting, and I will present it to them so we can divest. And I gave her the information. So potentially, Scotty, that's $90 million about to come up out of the prison industry's pocket. Hey. To them, it's not a whole lot. But to us, that's a lot.
0: That's a battle. <laughs> Again, this is war. Slavery is war. You know, the first slaves were probably the victims or, or you know, the uh, um, prisoners of war. And they just kept them and turned them into slaves and whatnot. You know, and, and, and you know, I, I can't say that for certain, but I imagine a lot of people have been enslaved through warfare. And this has always been a continuous war, um, you know, as we are going to honor Owen Brown, um Later today, as our you know abolitionists in profile, and what have you certainly John Brown and the brown boys understood that this was war, even though there was no declaration of war or anything like that by this government against another government, this was an internal war within the United States. And he helped push that. That whole entire family and their associates helped push that into the civil war to end slavery on this country. Just unfortunately, probably due to illiteracy and what have you. And, you know, just the pure sneakiness of slavers and, and Lincoln, you know, uh, agreed to that exception clause in the 13th amendment, thus nullifying, you know, the great victory that was won by the troops in the field.
2: Some great victories by the troops in the field. So these are
0: battles. These are battles. All battles aren't violent and bloody, um, you know, um, sometimes you know there are non-violent things that do work like divestment you know Uh that's how apartheid was brought down in South Africa that is why people are using the BDS movement against um, you know apartheid Israel and so the same thing can be done here and has been done these, these are nothing new but there have been like you stated earlier you know tremendous gains you know the students at Uh, Columbia University Um, now I believe there's an ongoing campaign to get the University of Houston um, to divest from private prison stocks so all of those are battles on on different levels those students at Columbia were in a battle against the administrators and and the trustees and and they won and so we didn't win the war but you got to win battles before you can declare victory in the war so Great battle, Max. I I hope you'll keep us updated and and this woman um, looks at this. And if she has any kind of conscience and she's against the enslavement of children, then I don't see how she can go through with that. So great job, Max. Well,
2: thanks, brother. For me, I, I didn't think it was about me at all. I think it really was just the simple fact that I was in the right place at the right time with the right person and I was willing to say something and I said something that I knew about
0: everybody's not willing to do that Max. i know it's not about you it's not about me but we do have to you know we do have to um for morale purposes and i'm speaking from a military standpoint being in the military six years um um you know camaraderie we have to congratulate each other there's nothing wrong with saying good job somebody has to actually do the work how many people wouldn't do that. Max had that opportunity, and perhaps because of fear, because because of shyness, whatever, um, wouldn't speak up, and then provide that person with the information, and and then have the opportunity to affect change in such a, 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 a no small way.
2: Indeed, Scotty. As a matter of fact, you know, we take this so seriously, and there's other people that take it very seriously. We see it for what it really is. And recently, another gentleman saw for what it really is. That's uh, Representative Bobby Rush. Uh, Bobby Rush uh, made an apology for his 1994 vote on the crime bill. And I think at this point in time, like everybody else, after seeing what's unfolded in the past 22 years, you can see the distinct difference between them And now, and how much damage has been wrought with no success to show for it whatsoever. A trillion dollars spent on fighting drugs, so many lives and communities destroyed and decimated, futures just cut short and uh, predominantly upon people of African-American descent or uh, Hispanic descent or Native American descent or any minorities that are non-white. So we've seen these things unfold, and he understands and takes it very seriously, and he made an apology. We would like you to hear what this uh, uh, congressman actually said and how he feels, and maybe we can talk about it afterwards. Do you have that video available? It's rolling
0: up as we speak, and I have to say, unless he just said it again, um, I remember reporting on this a couple of weeks ago, but it's well worth hearing again and asking these questions because then he's turning around and endorsing, you know, uh, uh, one of the champions of that bill. So, I mean, what's the apology worth then? Right. So uh, I'm just waiting on it to, uh, to start. As you know, sometimes these things take a while. They want to up- upload a... <laughs> All right, so uh, we're going to wait for that to continue to play. Yeah, but, yeah, sure, you, you know, know he, he I mean, he got deep with it now. That,
2: but at least he sees the seriousness well, of it I, and understands no world. Thanks.
0: I have no doubt in the sincerity at the moment because I saw it live when he gave it. And, you know, if you are empathetic person or a feeling person and, you know, you can pick up that he was sincere in his apology. But, again, Let's talk, we'll, you know, let's talk about it. So here, here it is.
3: Let me start out with this. I am ashamed of my vote. I sincerely apologize to my God. I apologize to my community, to my family. That was the worst vote as I look back over the years that I've taken since I've been in in the Congress. It was a vote that really was accompanied with a lot of hope that we will finally be able to deal with not only the issue of crime in our community, devastating crime, but that we will also be able to do those things and have those programs and policies to deal with the other kinds of issues, the other problems in our community. And what happened with the crime bill and its implementation was that there was too much of a focus, too many resources on locking them up, but no resources on love and compassion. And as a result, we have devastated... Our communities devastated our families, devastated our futures. And you can compare what happened with the crime bill and with the reaction. Well, let me just say this. Crack cocaine and the crime bill were the two worst issues, problems, catastrophes that the black community has suffered through in the last 50 years. We I absolutely apologize for voting for that bill. I repudiate not the spirit, but the details of that bill. We have not accomplished anything other than further destruction of our communities.
2: Mayor, uh, Representative Bobby Rush, uh, making a heartfelt apology and clarifying why he made such an apology as that. Um, I wrote down a couple of notes, some of the things that he did uh, mention. any mention. Any, anybody
0: else? I can't recall anyone else giving such a heartfelt apology. I've heard defenses of it as we saw you know former ceo uh bill clinton uh get into a verbal uh disagreement with black lives matter uh activists social political activists and and you know uh he's talking about how he's proud of it proud of uh what he did and proud of his legacy and whatnot hillary clinton has only sought to defend it you know uh, there again, you know what? Bill Clinton apologized. All right. So Bill Clinton apologized. It wasn't, you know, not heartfelt. I'm not even trying to compare him, you know, his apology to uh, Representative Rush. Uh, again, I'll, you know, I'm able to see the video. I do believe he sincerely apologize. Uh, 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 sorry, you know, for the outcome. And the key word he used was implementation. And see, maybe he didn't have a uh, ill intent or in his heart, where he talked about, you know, the spirit and whatnot. But the Republicans certainly did. Newt Gingrich certainly did, who has been advising Donald Trump. um, You know, their whole contract with America, Bill Clinton and the Clintons talked about, you know, being tougher on crime than Republicans. So, you know, um, um, I've heard no apologies from anyone else but um, Bobby Rush, You know, no one else that that was involved in that that voted uh, for that piece of legislation. And he said and he's right. But at the same time, you know, where where I think the congressional black caucus see behind closed doors while they were negotiating with the Clinton administration to, you know, uh, provide these votes to pass this legislation in Congress so he can sign it into law. Um, The Democrats, the black congressional Democrats were asking for resources, asking for money and what have you to be invested in our community. Same thing Bernie Sanders talking about today. So we can have jobs, uh, invest in education and all of that, Um, you know, and they absolutely did not get it. Nothing. So they voted. They they made a political deal with the Clinton administration and Republicans to vote for this bill. And then uh, none of the the, no other uh, bills, you know, for the backroom deal to provide resources to these uh, impoverished communities was followed through on. Okay, so, you know, he should be sorry. um, But there's a whole lot of other people that should be sorry that aren't sorry. And, you know, I'm afraid they're trying to expand it even. So, you know, um, it takes a big person, you know, to admit when they're wrong in an issue of apology. I mean, he came out, I apologize to my God. I knew he was serious then. I apologize to my God and then my family and, and my community. So, um, yeah. I know how he feels because, as I've said here on this program before, I feel personally
2: responsible for helping Reagan. Uh, by voting for him, I take that very seriously. I feel like this is the thing that could stop me from my journey onto the next good level. <laughs> you know what I mean? And he should have like, mentioned Reagan. It's my soul, he should have mentioned give to my own people. He should. I'd like to I'm... share some. As I just I took some notes on what he said. Yeah, before like you do though, Max, let me but... just
0: say this. Let me say this. You brought up Reagan because I meant to point this out. Bobby Rush, Representative Bobby Rush, mentioned the crack cocaine. Now we know who brought the crack cocaine into the community, as you hinted to at Reagan. And nobody's addressing that. Nobody with the jail, nobody with the prison. Um, This led to all kind of murder. This was engineered genocide, social genocide. And um, they, you know, uh, reparations. You know, we talk about reparations for slavery. All of this is a part of of slavery, modern day slavery, you know, bring in the crack, put them in the prison, let them kill each other. But if we put them, you know, put uh, future generations in prison and keep them there longer, we can make a whole lot of money. And it's in the billions uh, annually now.
2: They created a self-organizing system that would have perpetual energy and uh, provide perpetual economic benefits for those who have to tend to this system. Um, you know, Representative Rush, when he said regarding the, uh, he's not arguing with the details, but the spirit of it, it struck me as profound that he were, he was echoing the words of Frederick Douglass, who said in 1888, in his denouncement of the emancipation as a stupendous fraud, he said, I admit. That the Negro, and especially the plantation Negro, the tiller of the soil, has made little progress from barbarism to civilization, and that he is in deplorable conditions since his emancipation, that he is worse off in many respects than when he was a slave. I am compelled to admit, but I contend, that the fault is not his, but that of his heartless accusers. He is the victim of a cunningly devised swindle, one which paralyzes his energies, suppresses his ambitions, and blasts all his hopes. And although he is not only free, he is actually a slave. I here and now denounce this so-called emancipation as a stupendous fraud a fraud upon him a fraud upon the world it was not meant so by abraham lincoln it was not meant so by the republican party but whether meant so or not it is practically a lie keeping the word of the promise to the ear and breaking it to the heart and that's i think what he was feeling right there because he understood what he had helped to put into play he started out with saying he was ashamed that's a very strong word, and you don't say that unless you mean it. He was ashamed of his vote. Uh, and he, as you pointed out, you know, he wanted to apologize to his God, to his community, and to his family. Because you got to explain to your children the reason this is going on because I helped make it that way. I was here when it first started, and I said, go on, okay, I agree, for whatever the reasons may be. And here we are, what is it up? Uh, two decades later, as it said, and we can see all these things. He also pointed out a combination of crack and the crime bills. Well, you mentioned the Reagan aspect of crack, and we already know that Nixon started the war on drugs, particularly to incarcerate black people. Uh, So we already got that information, but the crime bill itself around the 95 time or 94, 98 that time when Representative Rush was voting it in and what was going on was deeply involved with a company called Wackenhut Corporation, started in 1954 by George Wackenhut. This is a man who was a right-wing extremist and who had uh, obtained upwards of forty-seven dossier, 47 million dossiers on American citizens. Uh, they say at certain points that Wackenhut was the government because when the crime bill went through, Three quarters of their contracts, as much as $600 million, was from government. And much of the rest was from outside sources directly related to the government. While President Clinton was in office, within four short years of Hut Corrections being launched as an IPO, their stock value increased 10 times. Ten freaking times in four short years like it was Microsoft. Now here we are in 2016, and we've been discovering more and more about this company that grew from those seeds in the 90s. And now they're a global entity, the second largest private employer in the entire world, the third uh, largest private corporation in the entire world, with a standing army of 8,000 men and 30,000 are men ready at a moment's notice? Global, with contracts with entire nations like Australia. All of this comes from that initial conditions in the 90s when he was voting for that crime bill which would launch the GEO group. Well, that's a short history lesson. We've been providing information on all of that. I know it sounds
0: conspiratorial.
2: No, I, it's not. Is. I wanted to know who was doing it. Yeah, I mean, things, it is conspiratorial. It, started
0: it. it is conspiratorial. I mean, what's this deal about conspiracies when every day in a court in America, well, Monday through Fridays, cause they take the weekends off sometimes. Um, you know, they charge people with conspiracies to commit crimes. You, I mean, these people conspire, you know. Yeah. I, I mean, even with the Wall Street trading and the insider trading. So, you know, when people try to say, oh, these are crazy conspiracy theories without even checking the documentation in the footnotes mm-hmm. and what have you, then all they're trying to do is to to discredit people and, you know, um, We can't allow them to do that. We can't allow them to stop us from telling the truth. So I don't even pay them people uh, no mind.
2: Understood, Scotty. Understood. Uh, There's an article that I'll share on New Abolitionist Radio, which goes into the history of George Wackenhut, uh, Wackenhut Industries, and then eventually into Wackenhut Corrections. You can follow that from there in the GEO group. But you know who was the money behind them originally? Uh, It said that the number one institutional stockholder is Britain's Barclays Global Investors International, a key member of the Committee of 300. Other stockholders as of 2001 were Zurich Shooter, Goldman Sachs, Merrill Lynch, and Douche Bank Trust.
0: See, that's why I want. <laughs> that's why I want to know why Goldman Sachs and other, not just them, but other financial institutions, paid Hillary Clinton so much money, and why did she force them, everyone in the room, to sign a confidentiality agreement? Come on, y'all! I mean, let's not play stupid here. But Max, we we are overdue for our first break, and um, still All watching right. the board. Johanna hasn't joined us yet, but we do welcome the listeners in in this new fo- format that uh, Max announced. Uh, to chime in and give us your calls give us your reports and the telephone number is 641-715-3660 the participant code is five four nine pound hit star six and one to come in on air
2: all right scotty uh we're about to go to break when we come back we're going to listen to some new york city police department officers telling you in uh other detail and straight to your face what it is they were doing you're listening to new abolitionist radio we'll be right back
0: after these messages uh, make black talk radio your choice for digital black radio new black news this is Ron hayes with hood
4: news and you're listening to the black talk radio network stay tuned
1: i see require cleanup hitter. Um, and that's a gentleman who has been uh, around uh, progressive uh, circles for many years. He's been an activist for uh, more years than many of well, as many years as many of us have been alive, more years than some of us have been alive. Um, I, the re- most remarkable thing to me that I know that this gentleman has done was uh, he introduced to the television audience uh, for the first time the Br- Zabruder Z- film regarding the Kennedy assassination on a dick cabot talk show and we'll have to ask him when that was many many years ago but anyway the person i'm going to introduce is going to entertain us here for a few minutes his name is dick gregory yeah. 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 <laughs> <laughs> dick gregory come on out
4: trick y'all y'all looking for (laughs) y'all look at me come from the back i came from the front (laughs) i listened to you this morning sister and thought about had it not been for the civil rights movement that liberated all of us you wouldn't have had this space and when you think about how this system has messed up our mind, how many phds you got i look at my mother What a lady Worked two jobs all year Because she had six children So we could have Christmas Christmas You know how ignorant you got to be To work your butt off Not for your children to go to college Because that wasn't even in our mentality For Santa Claus And when that black woman work her butt off, she tell me a white man bought this Y'all don't even know who we are. Think about that. You man, a Jew being dumb enough to say, Hitler and the Nazis brought you these toys? And that's the big problem. We know all of it. That's why I didn't have to do too much to move over into this... I live around nothing but black folk. I didn't see, it. I'm 81 years old. I, we didn't have TV then. What do you mean, Bennett? Radio. You know how dumb you got to be to listen to a tap dancer on the radio? <laughs> <laughs> so if I'm not around white folks, and the only white folks I see in the movie, I didn't know it was no dumb white folks till I went to white college. <laughs> I didn't know there was no ugly white folks till I went to a white college. I got to college and called my mother. Mom, I wish you he was here. I saw an ugly white dude today. She said, "Son, and we started that drinking."
2: Welcome back to New Abolitionist Radio. Scotty, are we on? Yes, sir. All right. What we're going to do next is uh, go into this NYPD clip uh, from the iTeam report, uh, an expose on what's going on with the New York City Police Department. We've been trying to keep you up to date on this particular story to show you Uh, You know, one of the biggest cities and most prosperous cities in the entire country is really a microcosm for what's happening across the rest of America.
0: Yeah, I'm still looking for that clip, Max.
2: Yeah, I understand. That's why I'm running my mouth to keep the air
0: going. (laughs) (laughs) Is it in the group or did you post it to New Abolitionist Radio? You know, we got a lot in the group. Oh, let me see. Yeah,
2: that was one of the, one of the reasons why I said I need to change my perspective. All right, I we found it. I found it. Here we, Here we go. Here we go. Find something. You might not see nothing. You're supposed to be visible. You
5: might not see anything, but you go hunting, like bounty hunting for an arrest, locking up some some old guy, some homeless guy, finding somebody who's riding a bicycle on the sidewalk who's spinning, and you bring him in. The problem is when you go hunting, when you pull any type of numbers on a police officer to perform, we are going to go to the most vulnerable. The most vulnerable. Of course. We're going to go to LGBT community. We're going to go to the black community. We're going to go to those people that have no vote, that have no power. If we start doing what we're doing in midtown Manhattan, a phone call to the mayor's office is going to be made. That's going to be the end of it. We're the predators, they're the prey. The worst thing you can have is a police officer that needs an arrest for the month.
6: So you're all minorities. How does that make you feel?
5: It's it's horrible. This is something coming from the top that trickles its way down, and this is why we're all here today.
6: We first interviewed Officer Edwin Raymond last month. He says he's been recording conversations with NYPD officials for the past two years in an effort to prove alleged quotas and retaliation against cops who don't rack up numbers.
7: They're breaking the law.
6: Raymond's claims elicited this expletive from the police commissioner.
7: is said, bulls**t is my response to that.
6: The commissioner insists his policies are focused on the quality of arrests and summonses, not the quantity. The officer's attorney. Is the commissioner lying?
2: Yes. Commissioner Bratton
8: is lying. But
6: how can you prove this?
8: I can prove it with testimony, with recordings,
0: with documents. All he wants us to do is go out there and lock them up. They told us it's, it's, it's easy to get numbers out here because you... You work in this type of community.
6: Are you arresting for stuff that you shouldn't be arresting for?
5: Well,
0: that's what we're here. We don't do it. We refuse.
5: And because of that, we are retaliated against.
6: Because you're not harassing people, you're being punished. You know? And it it doesn't make for a great work environment because they want you to harass people. The lawsuit claims minority officers are punished more severely than white cops for failing to meet quotas.
5: The city denies it. And the community are suffering the most. Because? Because the pressure. Because the quota. Because the police department is like a whore pretending to be a lady. That's what they are.
6: Are you worried? You know, this is a big step to come forward like this.
5: It's not easy. It's not easy. Um, we are the enemies. We are the people that nobody talks to. The culture of the department, we are the rats. That's how they call us. They are, we are the rats that speak out. It takes a lot of guts from a rat to stand where we stand knowing that our career are basically over the second we speak against such a mafia, because the police department is a mafia. It's a, it's a big, organized mafia.
6: Again, the police commissioner declined to go on camera to address the allegations. The city has asked a judge to dismiss portions of the lawsuit, claiming the officers haven't begun to prove a case.
2: All right, Scotty. We're not going to spend a lot of time on this because we've played this for you before. Well, I want you to hear this in preparation, really, for what you're going to hear next. What you hear next, coming up after this, is a woman who has to deal with them fulfilling quotas in Chicago. And this is happening all across America. And they told you, uh, by the way, Scotty, I put it up on New Abolitionist Radio's main page so you can get it easily, and get it prepared. But these police told you in certain terms what they are, what they're doing. And we've expressed to you and explained to you how if you give police quotas, they're going to fill those quotas, which makes it looks like you need, what, more police. And more police will continue to fill mandatory quotas endlessly until you're all out of people to arrest. This is why they have places like these million-dollar blocks in Manhattan. Got them all set there, Scotty? Yes, sir. All right. Now, this comes from Chicago. This is your quotas in action.
6: This is dash cam video of a Chicago reverend in the middle of a terrifying encounter with police. She was in the car with her two small children. Our CBS 2 investigator, Dave Savini obtained the video and talked with her about how this escalated into a guns-drawn situation.
4: Raise your hand and say, Lord Jesus!
7: Reverend Katherine Brown <laughs> found herself in a violent struggle with Chicago police in 2013, Caught on police cameras, that's her being dragged from her car. And this is the alley you've gone down hundreds of times.
4: 41 years.
7: It all started when this squad car, dashboard camera on, was speeding towards her. No lights or sirens. It's a blessing that I did blow my horn. You think that squad car might have crashed into you? Yes. Brown says this officer, Michelle Morsi Murphy, and Jose Lopez were blocking her driveway. The lady officer
4: jumps out of the car and say, move that car back. It startled me. I'm like, I reach for my license. The other officer takes the gun and point it at the front of my
7: head. So Brown called 911 repeatedly.
8: I need the police and the lieutenant to
7: come out. Her two children, including a one-year-old, screaming. You were worried for your life? Georgia Brown was eight. What did you think might happen?
4: They might shoot us and kill us.
7: Instead of waiting for a supervisor, Brown says the cops forced her door open. Terrified, she drove backwards out of the alley, hoping neighbors might help.
4: Now she's chasing me with the car, and I come to a complete stop. And then she takes the car,
7: rams it into me. Remember, her children were in the car. Brown starts screaming for witnesses. Morsey Murphy pepper sprays her. It hits her baby, too. That's Officer Lopez laughing. Then, Morsi Murphy gets on top of a park car and draws her gun. Another officer strikes Brown's car with a metal wand. Brown is taken down. Beat me down to my underwear. Told my skirt off me. And while you're on the ground right now, what's happening? They beaten me with the sticks and hit
4: me with their boots in my head.
7: She was scared to death. Attorney Ed Fox represents Brown against the officers, who've racked up many other complaints. The Citizens Police data project shows Morsi Murphy with 19 complaints, 21 for Lopez. And when you have that many complaints, it should alert the police department something's wrong. I got
6: treated like an animal.
7: Brown, who was unarmed, was charged with attempted murder because Morsi Murphy claimed Brown dragged her. Brown was found not guilty but was convicted of reckless conduct, a misdemeanor, she says, for driving in reverse. She's appealing that. Chicago police say they can't comment because of the lawsuit, but they take excessive force allegations very seriously. A combined 40 complaints against these officers. She was just going out to get diapers.
6: And at this point, are those officers in their same positions? We're
7: not being told whether they're on the street or on desk duty right now. Mm. All right, Dave, keep us updated on that.
2: Well, there you have it, man. Those two back-to-back. Uh, what they're telling you do- they're doing, and then hearing it actually being done, uh, the results of such things like that. One of the things, and there was many, that struck me as upsetting was the fact, and I've seen the video, and you can see it on New Evolutionist Radio right now, is when the, the police woman was spraying her and her children with mace and laughing. Now, it's so casual... That it's funny to her. But at the same time, within seconds, they're pulling out their guns and taking assault stances on their cars against this woman and her two infant children. Reminds me of Miriam Carey's story out in D.C., where she was shot with her little baby in the back of the car. Nonetheless, That shows you, to them, that they don't even see this as a serious issue. She's giggling. And it was a power trip from the very start. They think they are freaking God. They think they can do anything, say anything that they want to, and get away with it, because what do you have left to do? The woman had 40 freaking charges put against her by these police, 19 and 21. 40 freaking charges, and each one of them results in fines and fees and jail time, if not prison time. This is criminal on a level that is unimaginable for most, and it's happening in every city across America right now. Scotty?
0: Well, we know it's a culture of corruption um, up there. I mean, nothing should surprise anyone that these officers had so many uh, complaints against them. Um, you know, one, I think they said 20 something or 30 something, the other one 40 something and a combined 70 something complaints in that same neighborhood uh, in a citizen d- uh, kept database. And so, I mean, this should not be surprising to anyone. This type of behavior and worse has been going on for hundreds of years. In fact, I don't say that as an exaggeration. The first police department was created in the 1600s to enforce white supremacist slave codes on the book, whether you was a free uh, person of African descent or enslaved person of African descent. They were allowed to just commit all types of a manner of terrorism, barbarism, all kind of uh, rape robbery. And so it shouldn't surprise anyone that we see this today. You know, Daniel holds How many women did he prey upon out there in Oklahoma city? you know, 20 something rapes he was accused of, or or perhaps even more, how many didn't even come for. I mean, this goes on uh, uh, often, you know, that is why we got so many political prisoners because people got sick and tired of it, you know, Um, like the black Panther party and, and other formations. And then people talk about, Oh, they were anti-police. It's easy to be anti-police if you acknowledge the evil that they do and have done since their inception uh, in in this country, it is nothing but modern day slave catching, and and it's just uh, you know uh, I don't I'm I'm not going to say I don't know what it's going to take to to bring uh, modern day slavery to an end. Um, I'm pretty sure it might require some bloodshed, but you know for the purposes of this radio program, I'm gonna leave it. At, I'm gonna leave it there.
2: You know, this is where cognitive dissonance, double think comes into play. You had a dozen different officers sitting there admitting to this circumstance from one city, just representing one city, not one person, not two persons, not three, but like a dozen of them sitting there telling you exactly what is going on in these departments and they represent a larger group of people who were not willing to come up but can testify in affirmation of everything that they were saying. So you've got that there in your face, the people who are doing it, telling you what they're doing to you, and you want to deny that. And then the commissioner, his official reply is bullshit. That is Literally, that is the word. Bullshit is what he called it. This is uh, the commissioner of New York. won't even look any further into it. Now, if that is not just brushing aside something that is costing people lives and property and wealth and health and, and everything you can imagine, like it doesn't matter. If that's not a case of black lives don't matter, I don't know what is. Because most of the people being affected, as the police pointed out to you, was people like this woman in Chicago. Black woman in Chicago working as a pastor, uh, I don't know what she say, 20-something years, driving back and forth, and then boom, her number gets called, and she almost loses her life along with her other two children. So for us to even allow the commissioner to stand there and say that is, is really a testament to what we're letting people get away with. It's just a, it's a, it's a shame. That we have to even be a, have a radio show like this where we got to explain these things to you because you can't see them your own self. And I understand that that is because of a cover up that has been going on for quite some time.
0: I was about to so say I that, man. Yeah, I was uh? about to say that, you know, it's easy because of when you got five corporations, five or six corporations controlling 95% of the world yeah. media it's easy for them to hide these things. And so, you know, uh, everybody, I I understand where people come from when they say, well, poor people and a lot of people are so caught up in in the rat race of life that they don't have time to seek these things out. Well, that's why, you know, uh, we do new abolitionist radio for the past five years. That's why other people do the media that they do. Uh, we got people involved in the media, you know, uh, in our group moved to abolish 21st century slavery in our modern day uh, abolitionists. And so we try to do that, make it easy for them. But, you know, um, we got to do more. um Abolitionists in general got to do more to keep waking up more and more of the public because, you know, ain't no sense of even depending in, even though we have changed the narrative over the past five years from something as some people might say simple, it's simple, but really it's not. From changing the narrative from mass incarceration to modern slavery. So, you know. Um, we're we're doing the best that we can, but, you know, we can always have room for improvement and do better and just keep it up, man. But I'm like you, Max, I want slavery to be over yesterday.
2: Amen, brother. Amen. You know, and, and we're showing the roots and how these things came to be and how this uh, system, you know, was put into place. And, you know, again, going back to the 94 crime bill, they made a lot of promises. You know, they was going to be tough on crime because crime was so high, which is a, a lie in itself at the time. Crime was on the decline. So they were going to be tough on crime, get rid of all these crackheads and violent offenders, particularly because of the polyclass incident, which had nothing to do with black America. We've even shown you how the first person arrested under these new laws was a homeless black man for stealing a radio who went to prison for life. Third strike for stealing a radio. Now, during these processes, they made a lot of promises. They promised that they would have crime prevention, education programs, welfare programs, housing programs, things that would come into play to prevent crime from happening in the first place, to help people get out of poverty and stuff like that. And they also promised after people were incarcerated, they would have assistance coming out as well, where, you know, they would help them get housing, help them to get jobs, help them to get training. But the only thing they did was keep the lock them up part. The rest of it, they got it. You never saw any of that. You never saw the prevention programs and the money for that. As a matter of fact, the reverse occurred, as we reported here, where now you have states like Louisiana who can't even afford to give you a free lawyer. They can't even give you to give you a court appointed lawyer. They don't have and that's enough a money for right. that. That's a constitutional right.
0: That's a constitutional right. They shouldn't even have a choice. That's a constitutional right, but let's see what U.S. Attorney Loretta Lynch do. You know, let's see what the federal government do. Because oftentimes during the period they call... Uh, So-called Jim Crow, the federal government was ignoring all of these violations, and they continue to do so, in my opinion. You know, they investigate here or there, but as we reported on this program, like in uh, 96% of the cases of police brutality, uh, the cops are found to never have done anything wrong. This is at the Justice Department, so I don't put my faith in in any part of this system, but at the same time, you know, we got to keep putting pressure on the system and exposing yeah. these discrepancies.
2: Yes, yes. Because, you know, they took away those programs that were supposed to balance that all out. That was the selling story, you know what I mean?
0: Yeah, they, lock, they the did the price. exact
2: opposite. that became an economic boom, for partic- particularly for people who had lost their jobs uh, when they started outsourcing factory work. So the middle-class families suddenly found themselves as prison guards and probation officers and police and anything you could do that has to do with the prison industry Till they had come to a point where entire cities and states were literally running on prison industry money. Like South Carolina's number one industry is prison. Out in Colorado, the top thing, prison. Again, it's state after state, Georgia, prison.
0: Right, 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 man. But I mean, this was deliberate. I, as I've heard some of these politicians, you know, like Hillary Clinton say, a lot of unintended consequences have happened. No, this was totally intended. These are intended consequences because all the things that you named in the crime bill that was supposed to help prevent crime, like providing you know, educational resources, providing housing, providing, you know, uh, uh, a stable social safety net, a jobs program and all of that investment in the community. They turned around and did the opposite, followed it up with the welfare reform bill, which cut public housing, banned felons out of, uh, you know, people labeled with felonies, whether they've been in prison or not, but uh, labeled with felonies, banning them from the public housing. And yet these people can still work and pay taxes. That, you know, pay for the public housing, but they can't stay there. So, you know, they set up that mousetrap, man. You know, Hillary Clinton, Bill Clinton, Newt Gingrich and the Republicans, they they didn't start this, you know, but you know, I had to I had to point at them and say, Man, they they did the most damage as of late. I mean, they, they really did a number, man. Terrible. Which is why Bobby Rush
2: sincerely apologized. Because over the past 22 years, he, is, he could see the results of it. Anybody would have a freaking mind and eyes to see can see the results of what occurred in that 22-year period. We're not going to just count say the whole 45-year period because over the course of time since the initial war on drugs, it's even a lot worse. But in the uh, 90s period, that is when you see that spike go up 800%. Boom! straight up and we know the players we know who is involved in it one of them is running for president right now
0: and what's the truth so- is there wasn't a spike in crime and even though they have been starving certain communities been starving them for hundreds of years really man starving them of any kind of federal resources Any kind of return on any taxes that they're paying, the crime rate still went down. But that ain't the media narrative that you get. The crime rate has steadily been going down while the number of incarcerations, aka enslavements, have been going up. The data is right there, people. I ain't trying to pull the wool over your eyes. I ain't trying to hoodwink you or anything like that. The data is there for whoever will look at it.
2: It's easily available, and it's double damning because not only has the crime rates been going down, but in black communities in particular, the crime rates have been going down.
0: Yeah, the, the in- increases have been on nonviolent victimless crimes, you know, things like locking up people for using cannabis and and. and- you know so anyway but yeah man we're at the top of the hour time for our next break do want to invite any listeners to chime in if they if they uh choose that is, phone number is 641-715-3660 the participant code is five four nine pound hit star six and one to comment on
2: air Indeed. You're listening to New Abolitionist Radio here with Scotty Reed and Max Partis. Uh, we're expecting Han Elia to uh, arrive shortly from his corporate, and uh, we'll be right back after these messages.
5: Take the meanest, most restless nigger. Strip him of his clothes in front of the remaining male niggers, female niggers, and nigger infants. Tar and feather him. Tie each leg to a horse facing in opposite direction, set him on fire, and beat both horses until they tear him apart in front of the male, female, and nigger infants. Bullwhip and beat the remaining nigger males within an inch of their life. Do not kill them, but put the fear of God in them, for they can be useful for future breeding. Anybody know who Willie Lynch was? Anybody? Raise your hand. No one? He was a vicious slave owner in the West Indies. The slave masters in the colony of Virginia were having trouble controlling their slaves, so they sent for Mr. Lynch to teach them his methods. The word lynching came from his last name. His methods were very simple, but they were diabolical. Keep the slave physically strong, but psychologically weak and dependent on the slave master. Keep the body, take the mind. I... And every other professor on this campus are here to help you to find, take back, and keep your righteous mind. Because obviously you have lost it. <laughs>
2: They keep yelling out that we Egyptologists like this is some type of religion. We historians. I know I am. And I understand that I'm African first. So I'm more than happy to be an African historian because all our shit is right there. Still living. And I want you, and and nobody can prove anything other than that. The only people who thought that he didn't win had to be a sucker ass nigga who wants a motherfucking one, two, three freestyle fanatic. Freestyle Friday, ryan has been loaded. Lux, you want to see some battle rap shit? Cause that's the okay, thing that happens. Let me deal with that. That's the problem. All y'all niggas running around thinking y'all African. Y'all don't know nothing about no fucking African. I'm not no fucking African. Number one. That's our talk that's yeah, that's yeah, that's talking. That's song Yeah, this song never talking. I'm not going to fuck y'all listen, listen, listen. None of you niggas know nothing about it. Oh, oh. You you on, let me finish talk. Me finish you talk. are tuned in yeah, to the Black Talk, talk Radio
0: no, no, Network. No, 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 no. For podcasts and live program scheduling, visit us on the web at blacktalkradionetwork.com. And we are back, Max. We're we're back. I think you might have me me, brother. <laughs> okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Hey, apologies for that clip. That's a mixtape uh, clip, and I obviously didn't listen to it all the way through. But I, let me just comment on what we just heard there. That's the so-called conscious community um and there is like a little soap opera series I, it, it escapes me now uh that's published on facebook where it's you know talking about uh days of our lives or something in the conscious community and it just show these brothers just arguing with each other about stuff that don't even matter they ain't even dealing with modern day slavery all of that talk all of that african non-african whatever it don't matter uh, if you living within, if you living anywhere on this planet, you subject to modern day slavery. Let's not forget g 4 ag G4S, the British enslaver company is the number one employer in Africa.
2: That's right, number one employer in the entire continent of Africa, the freaking prison company. That right there ought to make you smack yourself. Well, we're fighting we're fighting collectively and individually everybody is doing what they can but it's not just us on outside fighting it's those people who are unjustly incarcerated who can must and will fight for their own freedom and they're doing that right now and there has been uh, a number of attacks upon uh, them and what they're trying to accomplish we all know that for instance the free alabama movement out in alabama represents a prisoner base that is sitting in prisons with 200% capacity Filled. You got twice as many men in these prisons as the prisons were built to hold. And your answer, instead of trying to free anyone, is to get $800 million to build more prisons <laughs> so you can put more people into them. We know they're using the Free Alabama Movement or uh, the Alabama prisoners for uh, prison slave labor, which is uh, directly resulting in them having contracts, I believe, with McDonald's the fast food restaurant, McDonald's, and making components to McDonald's services. And not only are they out there, as we have reported on this program, had several prison riots over their rights as human beings and the abuse they go through just in the past couple of months, but they've also organized several strikes, work stoppages strikes, where the prisoners are no longer doing your damn labor at all. And uh the media is fighting against that. Uh it's even spread now the efforts and the fights to build a national prison labor strike to the point where September 9th, all prisons across America are being asked to stop working. All prisoners in every prison and jail across this whole country is being asked to stop working on September 9th, you don't make no more little perfume bottle tops. You don't make no more Victoria's Secret. You don't uh, sweep any floors, wash any dishes, cook any, any, any food. You don't fight any fires in California for $2 a day. You stop working and bring it to a standstill to show people what is going on here. Now, because of that effort, Facebook has gotten involved and started to delete prisoners' accounts, because you know, as been got out that, uh Fan, for example, had uh, accounts on Facebook, as well as other people who have fa- accounts on Facebook, keeping them in communication with the outside world and allowing information to come in. And if you remember, Scotty, there was a, a uh, clip we played not too long ago with the people who were helping to organize this, where the brothers said the last thing they want is an educated and organized prison population right' it's the very last thing you want in any prison is prisoners who are in contact with each other and with the world trying to make a change in their uh conditions right now so they also, for September 9th.
0: they also hmm? don't want these intelligence reports being posted online about the conditions and you know videos and photographs of prisoners being beat the conditions and what have you i I mean i know people will say you know this is prison you ain't supposed to have cell phones and all this that's contraband and all this but look we talking about slavery all right it's 60 i mean 70 percent upwards of 70 percent of these people are in there for nonviolent so-called drug crimes so therefore shouldn't even be there in the first place they haven't harmed anyone else to be in prison, and and so when you know you do what you can by any means necessary, like Malcolm said, you know to expose this to to let the world know the conditions of of your existence in America, in the so-called land of the free, home of the brave, you know, which is really the land of the enslaved, in a whole bunch that- of cowards.
2: Yes. So, you know, Facebook is working now with law enforcement to delete those uh, Facebook accounts so that they can no longer have that uh, outside connection. And also, Texas prisons now have asserted their right to censor inmates' families on
0: social medias. So they're what? reaching out to people's families now to be able to censor them in order to prevent all of this from occurring. Yeah, because they can't stop the prisoners from writing home. And and if they write home and telling them about that stuff, and then their family members are posting it online and what whatnot, they don't want this to happen because people might you know start like you said communicating more about it, organizing and standing up against it, coming to the the logical conclusion that this is not what justice looks like, and it you know looks an awful lot like slavery. Oh wow, it is slavery. This
2: is the same efforts that the abolitionists had to make to get information into the South. It's pretty much the same thing. So the plantations are the prisons now and that's the South all over the country. Uh, You know, one of the other ways that we're trying to reach them now is with the New Jersey decarcerator. Uh, We've got a newsletter working with uh, Bob out in the New Jersey decarcerator called decarcerate garden state. And the information on the strike is in this newsletter, this paper. So if you could, take that to one of the prisoners inside or pass it along to somebody, uh, that would be a good idea. We have got to make a concentrated effort inside and out to bring attention to this as it deserves and to end it. So if you want to get copies of the New Jersey Decarcerator, you can go to Decarcerate the Garden State here on Facebook and just simply request some copies and take them with you when you go visiting and give them to them so they can see what's going on out here and what people are trying to do and others like them are trying to do to make a change. This is a nonviolent movement. It's a nonviolent action and then we're trying to make something occur. Help us out with this. And if you're out in the field right now, and you're listening in and you're involved in these prison strikes or helping to organize them or just passing information or have some questions, please call in and share your information with us and by default with our audience who wants to know as well.
0: And, and also the ongoing. Um, strikes, work stoppages, rebellions against slavery that's going on in the Texas prison, as I've been trying to keep up with that story. And those guys are being retaliated against. And there has been uh, what they call a media blackout. No no news of it on the national scale, very little of it on the international scale. But uh, that rebellion has been going on for about a week or so now, isn't it, Max? Max, you there? Yes, sir. I'm here. Yeah, that Texas uh uh rebellion uh in the Texas prison systems, hasn't that been going on over a week?
2: Yes, it has. That's one of the reasons why they're coming out with this uh prisons now consensus families and the information that they put out on social media. Okay. It's it's happening all across America. People want their freedom. they're, they're like the people outside, they starting to they're starting to understand what they've gotten caught up in, they're starting to understand the difference between freedom and slavery. They're starting to understand that it's not their fault all the time that they're being hunted and treated like game and, and cattle that you can just go collect. You don't, can't just go to a somebody's community. As a policeman like you in a Walmart, shopping for people that you can put into these cells. And they're understanding that. They're coming to this awareness of what it is they're facing and they're changing their mind. And when you start looking at this as a crime and the people committing it as criminals, well, as Scotty said, any means necessary. I'm. I'm just saying, we need to support these prison work stoppages, the nonviolent actions actions that can make a big difference. We just came out of massive hunger strikes that brought quite a bit of attention to the situation. The hunger strikes out in uh, was it in New York and in uh, also California.
0: I mean, this sort of thing, these work stoppages, hunger strikes, all of this has been going on for the past five years that we've been doing new abolitionist radio, you know, I only really became aware aware of just how many in the problems of the system. And until, you know, we start doing this program five years ago, man. So this is, this isn't like anything new, but you know, the masses of the people, what we need is more organization among the prisoner families. If you got a family member enslaved, um, you know, right. Do you know how many other families are out there and combine just how many people you might be? So let's just say we got two point five million people in, in prison. Let's just say about a million of those shouldn't be there. All right. Uh, um, or maybe a million and two five shouldn't be there. So each one. Let's just assume each one of those persons at least got a mother. They might have a father. They might have a daughter. They might have a son. So, you know, they got cousins, they got uncles, they got aunts. Man, that's a huge uh, uh, population right there that should be abolitionists today, man. And if we could organize more of them, um, you know, I, I think, you know, that we will really start seeing, you know, uh, major strides being made and winning more and more battles in this long war. I you right on that,
2: Scotty. You know, I want to give a couple of shout-outs to some people that are uh, doing the right thing, in addition to the New York Police Department policeman who came on the I-Teams report, which you heard earlier. But there's a couple of other people who are going through some serious dramas. One in particular that I've been trying to uh, tell you about is Judge Stevens, Ola Stevens, out in uh, Kentucky, I believe it is. I'm trying to pull up his information now. You know, we've been talking about what he's been going through for the past few months, which began by him speaking out against a white couple who was robbed by a black man, allegedly. I don't know if that case is proven or not. But in any case, at the end of the uh, uh, trial, the, I believe it was the wife said that her daughter or is is traumatized for life now against all black people because their house was robbed. And he chastised her for using, you know, saying for something like that in such a way as she was presenting it. And then later on, he decided to stand up against all white juries. As a judge, he had gotten tired of seeing this in Kentucky, uh, black people being tried by 12 white people over and over and over again. And we know that that is the history of America. So he spoke out about it and refused to stand, preside over a trial, another trial with 12 white people Uh, judging a black person in Kentucky. And I believe it was uh, one of the prosecutors, I think it is, but I'm not quite sure, decided to start a war with him. And now his uh, career is in suspension. He's been suspended temporarily right now uh, for standing up against this, one of the people being courageous enough to do so. And I just want you to be aware that he's going through these trials and tribulations because he stood up for the truth. I mean, who out there listening to us right now can say that 12 white people judging one black person in a state or county or community that has a decent black population is criminal in itself. Those are not 12 of your peers. Those are 12 of their peers.
0: Kentucky also has the distinction to being a slave holding state that never left the union and were allowed to continue to practice slavery throughout the civil war. Uh, yeah the Emancipation Proclamation did not apply to slave holding territories and states uh that were not in rebellion, so Kentucky has that distinction and then, in related uh news on black talk radio uh network uh you'll find an article that was published a couple of articles a uh, couple of hours ago. I'm trying to say I'm kind of tongue tied as I look for it. Bill Clinton needs some chicken with that hot sauce. As you know, Hillary Clinton went on uh, whatever that, that show is in um, NYC, New York City, the hip-hop show, uh, talk show, and what have you, when Hillary Clinton was proclaiming that she carried hot sauce around in her bag, and many people were saying that's a reference to Beyonce and all of that, and so, you know, uh, I mean, it's not the first time she's pandered like that, but Bill Clinton was passing out chicken yesterday at a restaurant in Louisville, Kentucky, he was passing out them HRC meal deals and, and what have you. And I was like, wow, man, really, really, really.
2: Oh, my God. But Guess what? Every time he I hear speaking, about something hey, else they're doing, hey, in my they mind, I'm thinking they should be in prison. Why are they in the streets doing anything?
0: Yeah. <laughs> well, is, Max, uh, you can be sure it. at these rallies that they're having in Kentucky that uh, uh, Clinton and them will not bring up uh judge stevenson's name will they how much how much you want to bet his name don't get mentioned
2: oh no it won't get mentioned And, and at least not in any kind of defense of what he's doing they won't even accept publicly the fact that what he's doing is right and it is right as a judge you have a discretion just like you have discretion as a policeman and a lawyer or whatever to say no I'm not going to do that. I simply am not going to do that, period. End of conversation. And you doing it over and over again or allowing the guy next to me who will take the raise you'll give him to do it, the opportunity to do so is a crime in itself, and it needs to end. This all-white jury stuff is crazy. It's just outrageous. In in, in today's uh, civilization, for us to stand there and think that that's okay, well... The other story was another cop, too, that I wanted to share about. And this is a brother. Uh, the story came out January 15, 2015, and he's going through some serious issues right now. And it comes from Counter Current News. Uh, I'm going to read some of it to It says, we're all the good cops. Critics and police brutality and abuse power often wonder this, sometimes loud, often on social media, but there is an answer to that question. It's not purely rhetorical. The good cops are driven out of work by the bad cops. Far from being a few bad apples, Detective Joseph Crystal of the Baltimore Police Department said that he was targeted by other officers uh, for trying to root out corruption. If you snitch, your career is done, one officer told him. He eventually became public enemy number one inside the Baltimore Police Department. But before that, he was considered a rising star of law enforcement. Crystal Crystal was the son of two New York Police Department cops and when was in charge of his police academy cadet class from the start. With only two years on the force, he was promoted to detective. Now, that is a rising star. Being a cop was all I ever wanted to do. He explained the dream come true. But all of that changed after he came forward to report the 2011 beating of a drug, drug suspect by another officer. His testimony helped to secure convictions against the officer who beat the suspect and the sergeant who helped. But Crystal says there were systemic patterns of abuse. I never imagined I'm doing the right thing as a cop. It cost me so much, Crystal told reporters from the Daily News. Now, Crystal suing the Baltimore Police Department for failing to protect him from re- retaliation after he outed the bad cops in his department. You can find that story on New Abolitionist Radio with his own words. So shout out to you, uh, brothers, for stepping up, changing
7: your mind.
0: I mean, we, there were were so many good cops, as many stories as we hear about, police brutality, terrorism, uh, killings. We will hear stories about other cops like, you know, this man stepping up and, um, you know, filing complaints and then suing. After they get terminated and what, but we don't, you know, he's like, we might get two or three of these stories a year, if that many. So where are all these good cops at? They, they seem to be far few in between. So, you know, it's like an oxymoron, a good slave catcher when you think about it like that. Yeah. It's funny when you think
2: of it, because that's what people are saying. You know, the system is guilty as hell. The whole damn system is guilty as hell. So how can you claim as one individual that you're good inside a bad system? It just don't make no sense, does it? Right? So until you get yourself together, you can't claim that. Until you get the system straightened out, you can't claim that. Quick to claim about all the good things and how, you know, that represents the police force and it represents the justice system and it represents, you know, whatever it may be. But when the bad stuff happens, it's that one guy did it. I ain't got nothing to do with it. It was just him. We don't know nothing about it, and we're gonna root his ass out. That's what we're gonna do. It's suddenly you're separated. See, it's the narratives are just being uncovered, and we see for which you are. Well, We're coming up close to our uh, last half hour of the program where we'll be giving you our abolitionist in profile and also our 21st century rider of the Underground Railroad. This story, too, is pretty intense. Brother in prison for 52 freaking years. 52 years. And uh, I just want to make sure that, it, you know, I recognize the efforts of everybody out there trying to get people free from these jail cells, whether it be the Innocence Projects or even brothers just like Daryl Paget, who uh, we spoke of before, who got himself out by studying law and then spent time trying to get other brothers out. So shout out to y'all who are truly the conductors of the Underground Railroad in the 21st century. You're bringing people to freedom one way or another hell, I'm probably likely to uh, say thank you to the people who are helping others escape, too, like literal escapes. <laughs> you know? What did Frederick Douglass say? I congratulate you on your immigration scheme. <laughs> <laughs> hey, I, I will just
0: inform Johanna is unable to join us tonight, so uh, I'm sure he wishes he were here, and he'll be back next week.
2: Yeah, we, we certainly miss his voice here tonight. Uh, Johanna is He's a very wise individual with a lot of passion, and his voice is certainly missed tonight. I'm sure we'll have him next week. Uh, I I do want to give a heads-up, too. May 18th, we're going to be bringing in uh, guests from the uh, National Week Against Incarcerating Youth who will be speaking about the events and the projects that they've got going on and what they're doing to prevent youth incarceration uh, and get people out. So they'll be on here May 18th. But make sure you uh, are participating somehow or another in that national week to and
0: incarcerating youth.
2: Scotty, anything on your agenda that you want to cover before uh, the final segments come in tonight?
0: Uh, yeah. Let me just take a quick stroll over to political prisoner uh, radio's Facebook page, which, you know, working diligently to get that weekly program back on the air after a month's Uh, months long uh, hiatus but uh, let me uh, just see I'm sure there are some things of course uh, most people know Tupac's mother Afini Shakur uh, was found dead in her home of of presumed to be a heart attack at the age of 69 Uh, she was born Alice Faye Williams born in Lumberton North Carolina on January the 10th 1947 and was known as a political activist and former member of the Black Panther Party, so I know the Black Panther Party Alumni Association um, has sent out some information recognizing her, and you know she later started the foundation after her son Tupac was killed. Um, you know, for arts and whatnot, and you know providing uh, scholarships and whatnot to the youth. Um, solitary confinement is a no-touch torture, and it must be abolished that was written by political prisoner Chelsea E Manning uh formerly known as what was he formerly known as I forget so it's not important anyway he com- he uh penned an article that was published in the Guardian it says in June 2015 US Supreme Court Justice Anthony Kennedy called the prison system overlooked and misunderstood stating that He welcomes a case that would allow the court to review whether or not solitary confinement is cruel and unusual under the U.S. Constitution. The evidence is overwhelming that it should be deemed as such solitary confinement in the U.S. is arbitrary. Uh, abused and unnecessary in many situations. It is cruel, degrading, and inhumane, and is effectively a no touch torture. We should end the practice quickly and completely, says Manning. Um, uh, the campaign to free Leonard Peltier, American Indian, uh, part of the American Indian movement. Um, which promoted which promotes Native American rights. Uh, in 1975, during a confrontation involving AIM members, two FBI agents were shot dead. Peltier was convicted of their murders, but has always denied killing the agents. Amnesty International is concerned about the fairness of proceedings leading to his trial and conviction. Given that all legal remedies have been exhausted and that Peltier has spent 40 years in prison and is in poor health, please write to President Obama to grant clemency on humanitarian grounds and in the interest of justice. You can read more again. Um, Last one before we take our final break uh, from the Jericho Movement, New York. Uh, On the move during the month of May 2016, our sisters Janet, Janine, and Debbie Africa are scheduled to go before the Pennsylvania Parole Board, although an exact date has not been set yet for May, and the possibility of the Parole Board delaying the hearing due to public pressure exists, as in the three-month delay of Eddie Africa a couple of months ago, we will continue to up the ante in our fight to bring our sisters home. Uh, Originally, Monday, May the 2nd was supposed to be a day of action in which we email and call the parole board. But instead of move nine Mondays, May 2nd through May 6th, 2016, will now be move nine solidarity week. We are asking people to call or email the Pennsylvania parole board this coming week and make the demand for parole for the move nine sisters. Janet, Africa, also known as Janet Holloway. Uh, Debbie uh, Africa also known as Debbie Sims Janine Africa also known as Janine Phillips Um, and again if you go to Political Prisoner Radio's Facebook page you will see the rest of the information that has the emails, the telephone numbers and even a script and this action has been endorsed by the Nation of Islam, National Jericho Movement, Burning Books Bookstore, Philly Coalition for Real Justice uh, some moved on Palestinian prison prisoner Solidarity Network NYC friends of move Phoenix friends of Moon campaign to bring Mamiya home and many 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 other too many of them for me to name so um, yeah that's all I got Max uh, I guess we gonna take our final break and uh, we can take our final break. break. Uh, when we come back, I want to give some
2: side eyes and a hat tip <laughs> to a couple of people, and then we'll get into our final segments for the evening. You're listening to New Abolitionist Radio right here on the Black Talk Radio network.com with Scotty Reed and Max Partis. We'll be right back after these messages. I will. Jeez. Welcome back to new Abolitioner's
0: Radio That <laughs> was pretty quick there, Scotty I live little- Actually, actually The break's not over, it's just a
2: pause there Hip-hop is a powerful oh. thing
8: But that power can be used For or against I love hip-hop I said I love hip-hop So for the love of hip-hop, let me share something with you Listen I got a secret, everybody come to listen they took the money out of schools And they got rich, built the prisons With rap verses and rhyme Made it cooler, go to jail, then gave niggas time We well, brainwashed the people with a marketing plan This brother all around me Like stalking me, man With his slogans and his phrases Keeps the masses in their places To accept for extermination Like Logan through the mazes It's in the book of ages But we never read the pages Till Hitler rises up to exterminate the races Where were all the Christians When we started dropping bombs Where was Luke, Matthew Mark and John, they say pray to Christ, but act nothing like him as they leave the sheep to slaughter. We get crucified just like them. Scripture says the meek shall inherit the earth, but after global warming, tell me what that shit worth. Not the price of dirt he got me for my shirt. The emperor has no clothes and kindly dropped the skirt. So she can get it in the rear, we should have known that it and was near. Osama's just a tool they use to promote their brand of tear. Extra, extra, read all about it's the daily news for the street most crowded. Some say I get in too deep when I speak about it. You reap with your soul, I doubt it. And these New York times, listening to the village voice. Killers and gangbangers killing. A killer choice, I build to stand the man I am true. Read about me in the Amsterdam news And this white man's world. I got a secret, everybody comes and
0: listen. Are you searching for the best in online black radio? Then go to Black Talk Radio Network. Dot com helping you filter through the noise. Real talk, Black talk.
2: Peace and welcome back to New Abolitionist Radio. Um, I said I wanted to give a uh, side eyes. And a hat tip. Well, it's to two different organizations. Let me break down what I mean. First of all, we got a couple of groups that are fighting to end uh, prison construction in their cities. One would be in Kentucky, and it's a movement led by uh, colorofchange.org. And the other, I believe, is out in Michigan. Uh, Both of these groups are fighting to prevent any new prisons from being built in their communities. And I want to give a hat tip to them. Keep up the good work. Uh, keep them on the fence. Don't let them build these plantations in your communities anymore, regardless of what they promise as far as economic advantages. It's just not worth the cost and human lives and suffering. I wanted to give a side eye because the one from colorofchange.org has this advertisement that says racial disparity in our criminal justice system is segregation by incarceration. <laughs> And then it says, living in toxic prisons is a death sentence. Now, I I can agree with that second part, but racial disparity in our criminal justice system is not segregation by incarceration, and y'all need to stop making things up. You just need to stop. We got all these synonyms for slavery. Just come out and say (laughs) slavery.
0: For For real, right? Pardon me? I said for real, man. It ain't that hard.
2: Yeah, it ain't that hard. Right. Why you gotta make things up? Why you gotta come make up with all work. kinds of metaphors and uh, synonyms? And it's kind of like, and it's all, and it's it's compared to this, it's slavery. You're saying it in one sentence and not in the other. That's double thing. Now, this is, uh, campaign was created by Jordan Mazurik. Uh, so I'm just saying, Jordan, please consider your language and, and stop making things up. You, everybody, I know you've got the <laughs> best intentions in the world. And I also know that most of us are dealing with this cognitive dissonance. So I'm going to let some stuff slide. But I'm here to let you know that what you're saying is incorrect and it should be correct. You're doing it for the right reasons. Have the right ideas in your head as well. But hat tip, keep up the good work, colorchange.org. I'll be proud When you guys finally say you're an abolitionist organization instead of promoting these reformist ideas. So there you have it. Anything to say on those, Scotty?
0: No, I think you about covered it. All right.
2: All right, well, we're going to go into our, our first of the final two segments, which is our Rider of the 21st Century Underground Railroad. And this is a heartbreaking Story when you consider the number of years that this man has lost. Uh, it comes from w, uh, MSNBC, and it is man convicted of Brooklyn murder exonerated after 52 years uh, by Diane Dan, uh, Dan Siepian and Corky Cimasco. Come November eighty, well, uh, come November eighty-one year old Paul Gatling will get to do something that many Americans take for granted. He'll get to vote for a presidential candidate. Brooklyn District Attorney Ken Thompson vacated Gatling's 1964 murder conviction on Monday and restored his rights, including his right to vote. I want my name clear, Gatling told NBC News before Thomas made it, Thompson made it official. Most of all, I just want to vote before I die. This The uh, delighted Gatling... Said his only regret is that President Obama won't be on the ballot. That's a big deal for me, Gatling said. I couldn't vote for the first black president. But Gatling decided uh, declined to say who he would vote for in November. Thompson said in, uh, said full justice for Gatling was a long time coming. Well, I don't know about that full justice thing. I'm just saying. But okay. Paul Gatling repeatedly proclaimed his innocence even as he faced the death penalty back in the 60s. The DA said in a statement he was pressured to plead guilty and sadly did not receive a fair trial. Today, 52 years later, he will be given back his good name and receive justice here in Brooklyn where he was once called home. Gatling's ordeal began on October 15, 1963 when a gunman burst into the home of a well-known Brooklyn artist named Lawrence Rothbard and killed him with a shotgun blast. Fingered as a possible suspect by a felon, the then 29-year-old decorated Korean War veteran found himself being grilled by detectives, even though the only eyewitnesses, Rockfoot's pregnant wife, Marlene, could not at first pick him out of a lineup. When Marlene Rockfoot changed her mind, Gatling said he knew he was doomed. The cops told me, they would make sure I was convicted, and the lawyers said they were going to execute me. He said, I was a young black man with the white pregnant wife in front of an all-white jury pointing me out. It was over. Wow. So at the urging of his family and lawyer, Gatlin pleaded guilty to avoid the electric chair and was hit with a 30, with 30-years-to-life 30 sentence and sent to Attica, but Gatling continued to insist on his innocence and got the help of a young legal aid lawyer named Malvina Nathanson. Blessings to you. It soon became clear there was something wrong with this case, Nathanson said. It wasn't long before I came to believe that Paul was 100% innocent. Nathanson sent an appeal on Gatling's behalf to then Governor Nelson Rockefeller, who in one of his last acts commuted, the uh, convicted man's sentence in 1974 and released him from prison. But Gatlin's conviction was never vacated. And Gatlin quickly discovered there was no escape from the stigma. It's not easy in life with this hanging over your head, he said. Haunted by the horrors he witnessed in prison, Gatlin turned for a time to the bottle to ease his pain. His, his marriage was strained. He moved to Virginia to start over. Then a couple years ago, Gatlin read a newspaper article about how Thompson— has set up a conviction review unit, CRU, to revisit wrongful convictions. So he picked up the phone and called Nathanson. I was shocked, said, she told NBC News, I hadn't heard from Paul more than 30 years. But what's amazing is that his case was so important to me that I always kept a file with all the paperwork, so I sent it to him. Gatling, in turn, made sure that the file got into the hands of, Eric Sonnenschein, one of the 10 assistant district attorneys assigned to the CRU. I started to look into it, Sonnenschein said. Definitely more challenging to investigate because it's so old, but there's no statute of limitations on correcting a miscarriage of justice. Gatling, the 20th person to be exonerated after a CRU review, agreed, People need to know what they did to me, he said. We here at New Abolitionist Radio salute you. Welcome to
0: Freedom. I'm glad you got your name cleared, brother. Um, I would just like to say I did a radio program. I don't know how people took it uh, on Black Talk Radio News where I was talking about Ken Thompson and the Akai Gurley case because a lot of people, you know, were calling for, you know, saying Ken Thompson was a coon and, and you know, just comparing him to the prosecutors that allow you know, like, let's say, where was that? Cleveland, that in the Tamir Rice case. Uh, then you had, uh, uh, the guy down there in Ferguson in St. Louis County. I can't remember his name right now. And comparing Tim, Ken Thompson to these guys because he agreed to a plea deal. Uh, with the rookie Asian cop who killed a Kai a And, and so why I said that the people who are not satisfied with that and don't think that's justice, they're absolutely right. And I stand in solidarity with them. But in, but in looking at a more, looking at it through a more complex view. Uh, the battlefield, there aren't many Ken Thompsons around. And I reported that we have reported on new abolitionist radio over the years since Ted Thompson uh, got elected um, uh, uh, to that district as the prosecutor of him freeing slaves. I mean, he's starting to free slaves on a regular basis, man. You know what I'm saying? And so I was saying, you know, uh, yes, Akai Gurley, life matters. And but when we're sometimes we have to look at the situation that people are in, especially someone like Ken Thompson, who is not doing the police any favors by making them look bad, exposing how they've been setting people up for the plantation. So I just wanted to throw that out there. And so here we have just this week, Ken Thompson, setting another enslaved African free.
2: Exactly. That's 20 people that have come free out of that office through Ken Thompson. Um, I ain't going to say that I agree with what he did uh, regarding Kai Gurley. I'm not going to say that at all because I don't. But I understand the pressures he's under and the things he has to do to make 20 people get freedom. It ain't easy because there ain't a whole lot of Ken Thompsons running around here willing to even try it. I mean, look what's going on as an example of what what they're doing here is because of Louis Garcella's damage mainly and all the many people that he unjustly incarcerated while he's walking free now. So they're working on trying to get these people freedom here in Brooklyn, but out in Chicago, the same thing happened. Uh, what's the other cops name, Scotty Reed out in Chicago that, that put all those tortured all those young black men out uh, there.
0: Ca- Captain John Burge.
2: Burge. John, yeah. John Burge, I believe it is, uh, but out there, there's nobody working on Burge's cases that I know of. Do you know of anybody working on Burge's cases?
0: Um, Yes, um, Mark Clements, who is with No More uh, Death Penalty. He's the executive director of No More Death Penalty after he got a, set a grass free grassroots
2: organization, right?
0: Yeah, and he's a, a yeah. victim of John Burge, and he's there in Chicago. And so I follow him on Facebook, and he's been on the network from time to time. We have to look to get him back. But I have heard is, him... Talk about no, you know cases no, uh, coming up Ken
2: Thompson happening there,
0: no, no, not on that level, but no, you right. asked me if anybody was working on it, so I just wanted to acknowledge Mark Clemens, who's an abolitionist Shout um, out no, he's not a prosecutor, <laughs> no,
2: right, I believe I talked to him there I knew abolitionist radio with you before as well. Yeah, he's an yeah. awesome person, yeah, um, but that's a grassroots movement I'm just saying and when it comes to the DA's office, there is uh, no CRU happening over there in no, Chicago with John Burns that I know of, and there's a lot of innocent people whose lives have been destroyed that should have their names cleared and be freed. But no, that's it, not There's happening. no that's stops on death, the please. Underground
0: Railroad in Chicago.
2: Amen. Um, so that covers our, that segment. Scotty, the next segment is our abolitionist in profile. I believe you said you was going to record something earlier. Oh uh, Yes, I got
0: it. Owen Brown.
2: All right, this uh, week we are going to be remembering Owen Brown, who is the son of famed um, abolitionist John Brown, and uh, he is our abolitionist in profile today.
0: Owen Brown was born to John Brown and his wife on November the 4th in 1824. He was the third son of abolitionist John Brown. Owen fought with his father in the battle known as Bloody Kansas and participated in John Brown's raid on Harper's Ferry, Virginia in 1859. Owen was among those who were able to evade capture. He would later return to the battlefield, serving as an officer in the Union Army in the American Civil War. Owen Brown was the last surviving member of the raiding party when he died of pneumonia on January 8, 1889 in Pasadena, California at the age of 64. Reportedly, 2,000 mourners, equally the entire population of Pasadena, marched in a funeral procession up to Little Round Top Hill. Ten years later, a marker was placed at the gravesite. It read, Owen Brown son of John Brown, the Liberator, died January 9, 1889. Two iron ornaments, a heavy hook on the left and a six-inch diameter ring on the right, were attached to eyelets in the marker and could be moved, symbolizing freedom from the shackles of slavery and rapture from mortal bounds. The marker mysteriously disappeared from the gravesite in 2002, along with the concrete base and surrounding rail fencing after the property on which it was located was sold. No legal action was taken. Photos of the monument are available on the internet. In 2012, the missing gravestone was found a few hundred feet from the gravesite. While his father, the revolutionary abolitionist John Brown, is often remembered in the annals of history for his bold stand to abolish slavery, but his son should be remembered as they were brave fighters who were not afraid to die for their beliefs in the sanctity of human life and the right to be free of the shackles of slavery. New abolitionist radio salutes Owen Brown.
2: And there you have it. Our uh, abolitionist in profile, uh, Owen Brown, son of fame, ad- abolitionist, John Brown. I often think about those characters during that time. Um, you know, because we study them all the time, and many of them, like John Brown and uh, Harry Tubman and Frederick Douglass uh, and his sons, they all were coexisting simultaneously in the same place at the same time in the same place, often getting together uh, and speaking and helping each other in different ways. And it shows the extremes that we went to in every direction and how we incorporated whatever talent we had into yeah. gaining freedom for our brothers and sisters.
1: So and John
2: Brown's violent uh a, a fight
0: to uh, the abolitionist Frederick Douglass's political uh, efforts. I mean, uh, Frederick Douglass was a militant. I mean, you got to be militant to be calling for the United States military to put guns in the hands of black troops, you know, to admit black troops. So Frederick Douglass was a militant. But John Brown and his sons, for more background information, go look up Bloody Kansas you know, excuse me.
7: Yeah. Bloody Bloody Kansas.
0: Kansas. These guys were fighting battles. I'm talking about battles. People were dying. People were being killed and whatnot um, in these territories where, where John Brown and abolitionists did not want slavery to expand like in Kansas and Missouri and places like that. And he, I mean, this is the war before the war. You know what I'm saying? Again, it's a hundred, it, it's centuries long war, just a continuation of it up through the annals of history till today, where we're still fighting this. But I mean, this was literally, you know, uh, battles that you know, you mentioned Harper's ferry, um, And then Owen Brown escaping, you know, being one of the few to escape. I forget the black abolitionist that was with John Brown who escaped. I think we talked about him in recent weeks. But, um, you know, they escaped. And so Owen Brown then joined the military, the Union Army, and became uh, part of a fighting force that whipped the Confederacy's ass up and down, you know, the South. So shout out to Owen Brown, the Brown family.
2: Right, right. He had, a, a, what was it, six sons?
0: Six sons, yeah. Six
2: sons, and uh, all of them were involved in the fight somehow or another. Kind of reminds me of my family. One way or another, we're all involved, <laughs> Man, whether you're behind it or in front of the line. It doesn't matter. Now, it has been a uh, 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 interesting program tonight. Those three videos that we played were very profound, particularly playing them together so people could see how the narrative unfolds and it all connects one after the other, with the police quotas being put into place, forcing us to spend more money on police presences, which keeps increasing in order to generate these incomes for the cities that run on these incomes, and then seeing how it unfolds in Chicago where, you know, a woman minding her own business is suddenly Her lottery ticket came up, and it's time for her to almost die or die by the police. And I was a little bit bothered by the fact that she represents a pastor, uh, in particular, of a church. And I was thinking to myself, I wonder how many sermons she's given on slavery and freedom before now. (laughs) You know what I mean? Because we've been trying to get the black church to join with the abolitionist movement as is uh, their—you know, they are ancestral allies. They've always been there to help— And slavery, but nowadays we don't see that. We really don't see that. We've been trying unsuccessfully for years, unsuccessfully. I think we've gotten four or five different churches involved, and there's thousands of them across the United States. Unfortunately, their priorities are a little bit different at this this time. Well, we're almost at the end of the program, Scotty. might as well go into our final uh, comment segment. I got a little something I want to read that might take about a minute or two. Is there anything that you would like to say before closing out the evening this day?
0: Um No, just want to thank uh, the listeners for joining us tonight here on New Abolitionist Radio. Uh, make sure that, you know... Uh, you do your part in the abolitionist movement i mean your part might be just simply as to tell people about the 13th amendment in small talk conversation you know uh, converting abolitionists one at a time i mean that's an act of abolitionism you don't have to be a john brown and go try to you know uh, um, uh break into an armory so you can set the slaves free and arm them and all that you know Everybody has a role to play. Uh, Everybody has different talents, different skills. But we need more people to be involved uh, actively in abolitionism. You know, slavery is not going to end itself. It didn't even end after the greatest war ever fought on this continent. So, you know, I don't know what it's going to take. Uh, besides a mass awakening, and but until then, you know, I'm just gonna do my small part in trying to wake the masses up and do things behind the scenes and coordinate and uh, make phone calls and whatnot and helping an individual, you know, uh, enslaved persons or groups supporting their, you know, hunger strikes. Um, work stoppages and and just you know uh, staying in my lane and, and using you know uh, my unique skill set to uh, play a role in the abolitionist movement so be an abolitionist and Johanna not here tonight but if he were here he would say peace to the abolitionists and death to the oppressor
2: Amen spirit of johanna here <laughs> indeed um, for us you know When we talk about being an abolitionist, we mean we want this to end. We want 13th Amendment to have the exception clause taken out. If you have a problem that you're so concerned about custodial uh, care, uh, that the government needs to take control of somebody's body if they're a prisoner, well, write out a prisoner's bill of rights. But we don't want slavery in our Constitution at all. It should say it's end, period, end of conversation. That's not what it should say. And as abolitionists, we look at this as a crime against humanity that is going on right now. It's not a mistake somebody made, which can be reformed. It's something that needs to be stopped yesterday. And that's what the abolitionist movement is all about. You know, I wonder why doesn't mass incarceration get treated as a clear and present danger an immediate threat to national security and American lives? How is it that 24 million bodies being shuffled through a single government sanctioned system of oppression and exploitation is seen as a problem we have all the time in the world to solve. They even have 10 year plans now recommending that we reduce the prison population by 60,000 over 10 years. Well, let me tell you, in ten years, 130 million people will have went through our jails, at 13 million a year. In ten years, almost seven million bodies will have went to prison. In ten years, if trends continue, 12,000 plus people would have been killed by police. In ten years, 10 million children will have been arrested. And put on a course to ruin. In 10 years, nearly 30,000 men, women, and children will have died in prisons or of abuse, neglect, or brutality at the hands of prison personnel. In 10 years, 2 million men will have been raped in prison. How is any of this something we can work on slowly? And what the hell difference is 60,000 releases going to make? 34,000 people went to jail today. In two days, your 60,000 will be replaced. This is why we know that abolition is a reason for a revolution, y'all. So we can finally know some peace. Peace. Rise
1: up, rise 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 up, up, If his protection is gone and your enemies are near, if you've seen the seas spill over and the mountains shake, break, and fall, if the moon ever turns blood red and you can't see the sun at all, rise up, no matter if the prize is high in the skies.